This is Richard Stanley, writer, filmmaker, anthropologist, whatever. And you're listening to Without Your Head. the station of decapitation without your head i'm nasty neil and i'm joined by the returning richard stanley director of the color out of space which is in theaters january 24th and it's very cool to have you back i'm uh, damn fine to be here sir yes so what was it about this specific lovecraft story that you thought would make a good movie well color out of space was hp lovecraft's favorite of his own tales mm-hmm. and um it felt like it was um at least achievable on a, on, a, on a lowish budget because it's like set on one farm and concerns one family. And it meant we didn't have to go to Antarctica or go to another <laughs> planet or um, the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So it felt like it was within range. Maybe it was like the, the low hanging fruit of the, um, the Lovecraft canon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always hard to go to another planet on a, on a budget. So yeah, yeah, we do in color out of space. Mm-hmm. I'm not wanting to give away too much. What is it about Lovecraft in general that, like, uh, you know, connects you to his work? Well, I, I think Lovecraft's day is about to come, in that for some reason, almost a hundred years after his death, um, his work seems to have permeated every aspect of human culture. Like, um, people in um, Russia, Japan, the Pyrenees, Africa can all identify Cthulhu instantly. Um, it's spread like a weird religious meme across the planet. Um, um, it's something that um, is kind of unique in um, our culture. 
from the point of view we're just getting used to things like the Marvelverse and the idea of a um, of a shared creative universe. But these are all um, corporate structures, and um, the Cthulhu mythos is spread without any corporate backers. It's somehow spread spontaneously. Um, and um, I think it's about time that. Um, the old ones were given um, concrete form and um, got onto our television sets. Yeah. Well, why do you think that is? Why do you think it? Because I agree, it's like it, it's become. When I was a kid, like people knew about it, but uh, I was like with weird crowd playing D and D and stuff. But why do you think it is like more mainstream? Not necessarily mainstream, but more people know about it. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd hate to say that there's something to it after all. But uh, I get the impression that um, if humanity survives into another century or another two or three centuries, that um, the Cthulhu mythos and um, the, the the Lovecraft universe will be um, will remain with us. I think it's going to um, last longer than um, a lot of other um, man-made religions, like say um, Scientology. Mm-hmm. So was it always your uh, thought to, when you did this movie to set it in modern day? I wanted to um, be as faithful as possible to um, the spirit of the original story, but I also wanted to um, somehow return it to its roots, and the best way of doing that was to move it to the present or the near future, just because um, I didn't want the Lovecraftian threat, the um, the old ones, the ultra-dimensional force, to in any ways be um, be quaint or um, old-fashioned, let alone cute. And I think um, generations of role-playing gamers and um, the plush Cthulhu toys have um, made me wary of keeping it in um, its period context. I wanted it to um, to be something that was was cogent again and a, a clear and present threat to us now and to um, generations to come. So um, I guess to, in, a, in the quest to make um, Cthulhu great again and to um, empower the old ones, I had to um, move it into the present. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I know exactly what you mean because when you watch a lot of that stuff, it's set in a certain time and it adds kind of this weird charm to it, but it's more about uh, the period than about like the actual horror of, of the stories. Yeah, that's what I thought, and I felt that we needed to go for the the cosmic horror and the um, to look um, extinction in the face. Mm-hmm. So, uh, getting Nicolas Cage involved, uh, what was that process like? Um, well, that came about thanks to um, Josh Waller, the um, producer for Spectrevision, who um, found out that Nick was a big Lovecraft fan while in conversation oh, with him wow. on the set of Mandy, and. Um, the fact that Nick was a Lovecraft fan and um, I happened to have um, a Lovecraft script flying around meant that, um, yeah, um, Josh was able to put two and two together. Um, Nick read the script and I got a, a phone call from him at um, three in the morning here in France and um, sounded far-fetched, like um, some guy claiming to be Nick Cage in a, a bar in Las Vegas claiming <laughs> that he wanted to be in my movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remained skeptical for um, quite a long time. Eventually, um, Josh had to drive up with one of the producers from Portugal and physically knock on my door and um, told me to get in the car before I um, really believed they were making the movie. Yeah. When you're when you're directing Nicolas Cage, like, what's that like? Because I assume like a lot of stuff would be his idea how to play the character. And does he take like direction well, or do you even need to direct him? 
actually directing Nick was kind of a pure joy and uh, to be really restored my faith in um, the entire process. Um, I mean, I think um, we're very much in tune to um, start off with from the um, point of view that um, I tend to approach everything that I do as a kind of deadpan, um, apocalyptic um, black comedy. And um, Nick has, a, I think, a very um, finely developed um, sense of comic timing, even in um, scenes that don't outwardly appear to be um, comedic. So um, I, I do think that if Nick continues down the path he's on um, and doing these um, kind of character turns, that he has within him the ability to be um, like the next Vincent Price. Um, something, yeah. Um, these last few years, like, I mean, he's always been a huge actor, but the last few years he's really uh, doing great in, like, the, the horror genre and these weird movies that really, you know, uh, speak to me as a big horror movie guy. Yeah, and Nick's a genre fan, and, uh, yeah, I think he really has um, he really has the chops for it. Uh, I find him incredibly entertaining to watch. And, um, he'd bring a number of different choices, and um, beforehand, um, weeks before we shot, he would highlighted areas in the script that um, we felt we should um, really run with in terms of um, improvisation, like the um, the tomato scene in the kitchen, or um, him Nick rigging out in the uh, in the car. Mm-hmm. So um, we found that although a lot of these things appear like spontaneous eruptions of um, insanity in the film itself, there were usually things that we would, would clearly um, we, we, that we knew were going to happen. But um, certainly um, Nick also, Nick's energy as well means that the entire cast and the crew are a lot more on form. Um, as a result, um, we usually um, got most of his scenes in literally um, two or three takes. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, working with Nick was a pure joy. Yeah. Now, when I read the original story, you know, they, they talk about the actual color uh, out of space, and it's like an indescribable color. And when you read something like that, you know, you, your imagination, you know, can fill in what it is. But how hard is that to, to know what you're going to film for a movie? Because, you know, movie is a visual medium as opposed to someone, you know, coming up with their own imagination when hearing or reading the story. Well, what we tried to do is I tried to apply a kind of mad science to um, Lovecraft's material. And the um, the color schemes um, that we see in the movie are largely derived from this idea that um, the outer limits of the human visual spectrum are um, infrared on the one hand and ultraviolet on the other. And if something is... Um, an ultra-dimensional intrusion is invading our consciousness. You have to imagine it comes from somewhere and it either comes in through ultraviolet or infrared. And if you um, merge those two colors, you get um, magenta, which is kind of a sort of neural bridge between the two. And often in the movie, we're um, pushing the um, color spectrum out towards the outer limits of um, what we can perceive. And simultaneously, um, the sound design, and particularly... um, the um, Colin Stetson score is um, edging into ultrasound and infrasound into um, very, very high-pitched frequencies and very, very deep bass that's, again, edging out of the auditory spectrum. I suspect color is going to be as much of a trip to listen to on headphones as just to um, see on a big screen. And um, the overall effect is that I want to convey a sense that the audience's consciousness is literally um, being um, 
distorted or at being dragged to its outer limits. Uh, being involved in uh, Lost Soul and like uh, the feedback for that after, like, um, how did that affect your life, and did that help you like uh, return to directing feature films? Um, the emergence of the Doctor Moreau story and what really happened on the island um, definitely um, helped aid and abet my rehabilitation in Hollywood. Um, in that. Um, for a long time, I'd been um, scapegoated for um, the events on the 1996 movie, um, which helped to protect a bunch of different folk, notably the um, different corporate players involved at the time. But um, I think um, 25 odd years later, a number of folk um, had gotten curious about um, some of the ideas that we'd been. Um, messing around with and Dr. Moreau, which um, at that point, including um, a sort of early version of mocap and um, some of the VFX stuff that um, we were planning back then, I think was sufficiently far ahead of the game that um, only now in the um, 21st century can people think of, um, I guess, talking cats and dogs with machine guns and the kind of things that um, we were attempting um, back in the day. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I'd like to talk to you about, but uh, you're a busy guy, and it's very cool to see you uh, return to a big movie, and it's out there at festivals, and now it's uh, coming to theaters. Oh, man. I'd glad to be back. Very good. All right. Well, thank you again. I appreciate this. Take care, compadre. Yeah. Take thank care. Bye. Yeah. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old-world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. The tomb of Nick Cage. Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Tomb of Nick Cage. How you doing? This is Lance Hendrickson, and you're listening to WithoutYourHead.com. Welcome to the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by Clint James of Mine Nine. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you for having me, Bill. Yeah. How are you? So, I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? I'm good. Just having a cup of Thanks. coffee, hanging out here watching live PD. Yeah. All right. All right. Sounds good. So, Mine Nine. If people, for people who aren't aware yet, can you give them an idea of what that is? Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, <clears throat> coal mining movie that we shot a few years ago, and it's just been released uh, last year, and now it's out on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, it's um, several stories that are comprised into into one from actual events, and um, inspired by you know <clears throat> true to life stories. And Eddie Menzer, a director, producer, writer. Um, yeah. Th- put this together and um, basically you got nine coal miners trapped down two miles underneath 
and uh, one hour of oxygen left. So it's uh, pretty. It's about ninety miles an hour once you get in it. So yeah, it's a great film. We're proud of it. No, it is a really good film. Not just because I have you here, and I, I got to see it. And uh, yeah, I mean, and um, no, it's really well made. And there's a lot of things I didn't know about mining in the movie, especially the mm-hmm. caves. I didn't realize they were so uh, so short. Yeah, yeah, they were. They were. It was tough. Um, um, majority of what we shot, as far as dialogue and everything, was definitely in uh, in studio that Eddie Menzer and Tim Barrett. Um, got together and yeah, it was true to life. I mean, some of the guys were able to go down in real mines and I was actually shooting another show. So I wasn't able to make it, but, um, there was, uh, the ceilings were about three and a half feet tall. I mean, we were hunched down in there and I'm six, three and, and the other guys are tall too as well. And, and, uh, we were hunched over for, uh, quite a period of time, um, for weeks in that, in that, uh, mine, makeshift mine in the studio and uh we were hurting yeah it was, yeah. It was a tough one come day three did, for sure did you know anything about like mining you know previous no i um i didn't um i knew a little bit but i'm not from that area i know eddie's from mm-hmm. that area and and he grew up around that stuff and uh um and of course you know we're around quarries and stuff like that from where i'm from in missouri but it's not you know we're, we're not living off of that it's a, or uh all these men and women, you know, they're going down and taking care of this work so, you know, we can have electricity. And uh, so now I was not aware of it. I just just started, um, you know, reading up on it and doing a lot of homework on it, you know, once I got cast in it. Yeah. And, uh, did, well, did you talk to any, like, the real miners? I know some of them were, uh, you know, involved just, you know, in the, in the story and what. Yeah, we had a uh, well, uh, close friend of, of Eddie's, uh, Dave Jones was um, um, there, and he was a bit of a mentor for me. So I, I just picked his brain, and, and he's a coal miner, and uh, or was, and uh, so we we just I basically just picked his brain. I wasn't able to go and, and meet everybody. I really met a lot of people afterwards and hearing mm-hmm. their stories after the real coal miners. You know, of course, we were in Charlotte and and um, uh, doing the premiere and everything, and and we'd meet you know the real deal. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it's a lot of tragic stories that we're hearing and yeah, they could definitely, uh, relate to it. So that, that was touching too, because it showed the work that we put into it really, uh, paid off for mm-hmm. to, uh, especially coal miners to be able to relate to it. So that they were happy with the, with the finished film. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe a lot, a lot, a lot of people were happy. Um, yeah, when we, we were meeting them there again, um, Afterwards, we had a Q and A, and then you know people would come up and tell their stories. So you would hear story after story after story. And this actually was in Princeton, and we just got really great you know feedback from the actual coal miners. I mean, they were getting off of work coming in to watch it, you know, and so they were still dressed up in their in their uh, work clothes and everything. So it was uh, it was pretty intense. Yeah, it has to be quite an experience. Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, I'm just very fortunate to be a part of part of that story, and it's and it's touching a lot of people. You know, I, I guess you know some won't be able to relate to it, but I think the majority, of the working class, will be able to for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, did you know uh, the director writer Eddie beforehand? 
No, I did not. I uh, knew Mark Ashworth, and we did a movie called Magnificent Seven together, and we were on that for about three and a half months, so we became pretty close on that. And uh, and Mark was already cast in my nine, and uh, so it's like Clint, there's a there's a role in here. Uh, you should you know put yourself on tape and. So I sent it off, and I I don't think they they saw it or something slipped through the cracks, and um, and then I reached back out and and I, I think I sent out another tape, and we auditioned for it, and, um, and that was it. So that's how that worked. Um, met Eddie online, basically, you know, through Skype when he uh, when he hired me for the role. So. Mm-hmm. So you said uh, like makeshift mines, but uh, it definitely doesn't look that way when you're watching. It definitely looks like everything is really underground. Oh yeah, it's mind blowing with the with the work. The, the set design yeah. is just amazing. They uh, had a great team, great crew. Um, you know, of course, it's a low budget film, but I mean, they they made it happen. This is over years and years of you know the work that Eddie and his crew put together, and and then uh, finally having a product after all that time and. And definitely they took their time, but no, it felt like you were in the, in the down below and, oh, it was tough. And, and, you know, it was hard to breathe too, you know, you're down there and, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty intense. Yeah. Quite, no, but I, we enjoyed it though. We became, a you know, brothers down there and, and Terry Serpico was amazing in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Kevin and of course, you know, Sizemore and Mark Ashworth and, uh, but yeah, the uh, we all became really, really close down there. But you know, you kind of have to be right mm-hmm. down in there, and you're spending. This is what these guys do. They spend all day with with their. Um, they become family down there. Yeah. So. I would think that would add to a movie like this uh, if the if the people are actually like you know bonding, which would you know help uh, with, with the story because I would you know the the real guys would have to be bonded when they're all you know, together all the time in, in such, uh, such conditions. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you don't like the guy that you're working with, I think in a situation like that, you figure it out, you know, you put your differences aside and, and it's all about survival at that point. And, uh, and you know, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, you know, and, and, you know, when you're down there, even if it's your worst enemy, you want to make sure they're, they're living, you know, breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I just can't imagine being in that situation. And there's so many, many people that have been. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned Magnificent Seven. Uh, did you know how to ride a horse before uh, before you you did the movie? Um, yeah, I've been riding horses my whole life, basically. Um, but um, no, I didn't do any riding in, in Magnificent Seven. Oh, you so didn't? We, okay. Uh, no, no, I didn't have to do any riding. Um, I have done riding in like I had a Western that just came out and then uh, uh, some other films and stuff like that. I've done, you know, horseback riding and stuff like that. But no, we didn't have to do any riding in, in that one, which, you know, sucked. That was fun. <laughs> but uh, uh-huh. we were the town's guys and, and everything. And um, so, yeah, we were just trying to figure out how to shoot a guy. We're just farmers, you know. So it was, mm. we didn't really uh, get around the livestock and all that. Yeah, the other movie's uh, Eminence Hill, which uh, I had bring Stevens on uh, on the show when when that came out. It was a that was a really good movie. Lance Hendrickson and great cast. Yeah, yeah, um, we had a good time. It was a, 
um, lower budget than what we had. So I'm um, just kind of looking forward to Robert having a bigger budget and uh, mm-hmm. get him off and running because that's all he needs is more more money to, you know, get it all. But it's, a, yeah, but it, you know, turned out to be a good little Western. And, and uh, yeah, Brink was in a scene. It was the, uh, I met her. Yeah, she's really nice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a scene with myself and Barry Corbin and all of us sitting around the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And Brink comes in for a second in there. Yeah. It seems like everyone yeah. I, I talk to has ever been a Western. Like, it's something they always wanted to do. I want to talk to Tony Todd, was, uh, Lance Henriksen. Like, uh, it seems like all actors, because, you know, you don't really see a lot of uh, Westerns anymore. You know, they're much rarer than the than I guess when people, you know, were growing up. But it seems yeah. like, hey, this is like a thing, like, I would think would be cool anyway. Like, hey, I'm in, I'm in a Western. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, it is a good time. It's, um, it, and it depends on the budget. I mean, you know, um, like for Magnificent Seven, of course, you know, you're, what was it, 90 million for the budget. Right. Um, and we're just out there, you know, in Louisiana, and it was hot. I think it was one of the hottest summers. It was excruciating, but of course, you know, you're you're working, so whatever. Um, but during, uh, you know, then you have you know westerns like um, like Roberts and the lower budget ones, and, and you're freezing your tail off out in the middle of nowhere, you know. So it's um, yeah, you just kind of completely completely different. And it's all budget, you know. It's all budget. We you know, trying to make the best possible product that you can with a low budget film. And, and then of course, you know, with the bigger budget film, you this big, bigger budget Western, you, <clears throat> you have money to, um, to relax on a little bit. So mm-hmm. now there's no relaxing on the lower budgets. So you just you get in there and get the, get the job done and try to get mm-hmm. the best possible. Take you know, you can. That makes sense. But in a way, I think most people think it would be the opposite. Like it would be more relaxing to be on a low budget film where like, a a big budget film, like maybe you have to make sure you do everything. You're, you're there for everything, which I'm sure you for every movie, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, but now it, the studios, I mean, the studios have a lot to do with the bigger budget ones. I mean, they get a lot of, you know, say in there, but of course, you know, depending on the director and producer, they're, they're fighting for what they want in the film. And, uh, when you got a low budget film and you know, you're, you're just getting by with minimal crew um, it's, it is stressful. It is stressful because you don't know if you got to come back and you can't come back. You can't come back for reshoots. So you got to figure that out. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and everything that, that, uh, plays along with that, you know, pay and all that stuff. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Much, much longer hours. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> try to try to get it, get it done. So, yeah. So, you know, I noticed on your IMDb, you've done a lot of like uh, different series, and I was just wondering, mm-hmm. like, uh, as an actor, the rise in the streaming sites, like, how has that affected uh, your life as an actor? Uh, the streaming sites, as far as, like, Because um, uh, there's so many more like, platforms for, like, uh, different uh, shows that, you know, might not have existed before. Yeah, yeah, like, right now, um, there is. I mean, it's so saturated with content, um, and, uh, and not necessarily bad content. It's just so much mm-hmm. to choose from choose from um uh yeah i mean you know you got you know of course you netflix and amazon and, and now you know apple tv and you know i just actually had an audition for that a couple of those and um but yeah man it's it's kind of it's really just 
I don't know. As far as residuals, we got to figure out something too with that because mm-hmm. the residuals aren't as good when you're streaming. Uh, so hopefully our union can figure that out. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of thievery out there too. So we're hoping you know people don't jump on here and and uh, steal in the movie and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. kind of searching around every once in a while, and I'll find it and we'll we'll report it and get it off of there. But mm-hmm. you can't do it. You know, when I ask about you, when I ask about the streaming sites, it really depends. I think how long someone's been in the business on their on their uh, answer to that. Because I know it's like uh, people just getting in think it's great because there's more places uh, mm-hmm. to work, uh, but more veteran actors, you know, bring up the residuals. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, they're, yeah, they're really not going to know the difference. Um, network is better residuals and. And um, and the streaming thing, so it's not. But hopefully, you know, we can get that figured out. But regardless, I mean, the opportunity for an actor is way bigger than what it used to be um, Mm -hmm. because of there's so much content. But again, you still have to, you know, have the right representation, the right the right people to get you even a read for it. So, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, not everybody's going to be reading for it just because there's a lot of content. They're not uh, yeah the right right actress for it. Yeah. You mentioned you know saturated because I think it's kind of a golden age of series. Like there's some like the last twenty years. I think since Sopranos has been like great you know TV series, but it's also harder to stand out since there are so many. Yeah, yeah. There's but there's a, it just seems like there's always a couple of them that, that actually do still. You know, yeah. And, um, and and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean. It, I don't know where it's going to go, though. I really don't. Um, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this new year, and, and you know, a lot of, lot of things are kind of, you know, coming out to play. So, um, you know, as far as projects go, and we're kind of see see what's happening. But right now, we're kind of what they call the pilot season. But being saying that, um, you know, it, it seems like I'm reading for pilots all year long, anyways. So, um, mm. you know, it, I don't because there's so much more content, right? Yeah. As far as streaming wise, you can just put out every episode out there and it's available for you right there. And so you just binge Mm -hmm. it if you want or whatever. Yeah. That's a, you know, like that, that's something that, uh, you know, I didn't have when I was a kid. Uh, the, the, the idea of binge watching is, you know, really became a thing and it's, I think it's good and bad. There's something cool about waiting a week between an episode. I do think you appreciate, you appreciate it more, <laughs> but I can't deny it is fun just to watch a bunch of, a uh, bunch of episodes in a row. Yeah. Yeah. I like that too. So yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, in between that, but, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather sit down and be able to, to binge it if I want to and then turn yeah. it off and whatever. But, um, yeah, it'd be nice if they could just figure out the whole, uh, you know, residual thing with that. And, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. I don't know. Not stressed. Do you, uh, since you do work in, like, so many different uh, genres, do you have, like, a, a favorite genre to work in? I do. You know, I think I'm funny, right? Uh, but I don't necessarily do funny things. So I'd like to do more comedy. That would be great. But I, uh, I play towards the, the darker characters. Absolutely. You know, the, um, something I, I've been wanting to do more, more is undercover cop stuff and, and, uh, all that. But, um, but yeah, I play, you know, the more darker characters, I guess it's just how, how people look at me right now. But 
you know, if that's the case, then I will play dark characters for the rest of my career. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. I assume that'd have to be fun to, to, uh, to explore the dark yeah. side. Well, yeah, you can do that. And, and plus it's legal, you know, right. Yeah. I mean, paying you to go out there and, and shoot guns and have a good time. And then, you know, you don't go to jail. Right, right. Yeah, I, right. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I got to shoot guns for the first time, and it was in a in a short film that I did. So it was very exciting. Ah. I didn't notice that. I didn't realize they were so heavy. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, guns are heavy. They are heavy. Yeah, I don't. I don't normally shoot guns unless I'm working, anyways. But all right, um, that's good to know. Yeah, yeah. So watch out for it. So. <laughs> so, uh, uh, real quick, like, what made you want to become an actor? Um, well, it was, uh, yeah. Um, my dad, my dad used to, um, uh, we used to have this eight mil camera around the house. And when I was just a little dude and, uh, and he did all the home movies and stuff like that. So we, we, he'd bring down the, the, uh, the, the screen and, and we had the projector up, you know, with the eight mil film projector and, of course, there was no sound, and we're all moving kind of in a fast motion to kids and stuff like that. And so, just watching it, and then he taught me how to splice and cut film together, and and just going through that process. And I was probably five, six years old when I first started looking at that stuff, and it just really dawned on me right there. I was like, "Well, filmmaking is really kind of cool." So I just played around with the camera, and then just uh, just got into little plays, and and uh, and I found that I enjoyed it more so performing. And, uh, and then I, you know, kind of went after what, you know, what my father did is in the air force. So I joined the air force and I was in that for about nine years. And then, then I went back, you know, just went to theater and, uh, you know, right, right when I got out. So, so yeah, I just, uh, I just kind of stuck with it in the back of my head of what I wanted to do. And, and, uh, and this went for it, you know, what's the, uh, what's the yeah. differences between the, the theater acting and, um, you know, movie or TV acting? Uh, night and day. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, you don't necessarily need to, uh, project <laughs> on mm-hmm. camera. So it's all, yeah, that's just a completely different entity, um, with theater. And, uh, and I haven't, I haven't done theater in, in probably 15, 16 years or maybe longer. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's been a while. And, um, but it's something, I mean, it's definitely, you got to be on your toes. I mean, there's, there's no cuts. There's no, you know, you gotta, you gotta perform. That's it. You drop a line, you got to figure it out. So, um, that's the difference with theater. You know, we can, mm-hmm. we can take, take after take, you know, of course. Yeah. Film. So I enjoy both, but, um, yeah, just, uh, I'm just sticking with the film and, and TV right now. And maybe yeah. get theater you know, after a while. Mm-hmm. Well, I really, uh, I really dug my nine. I know this is a primarily a horror movie show, but I just like movies in general. So uh, yeah. we'll talk about whatever here. So I really dug it, and I hope, uh, I hope people check it out. It's gonna be on uh, Blu-ray. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, Blu-ray. It's out on Amazon right now, and um, you can go pick it up at Walmart, Target, Best Buy. But yeah, you just Google it online. You can buy it. So. Um, yeah, it's a great film and very proud of it. Biggest little film I've ever done. So, um, just, yeah, just stoked about it and, and uh, looking forward to the next project. So, uh, we're kind of mowing one over right now. Mr. Minzer 
everybody. So we're kind of figuring that out. But uh, yeah, we're just going to move on to the next and and hope people uh, really enjoy this film. Very cool. And uh, can people follow you online? Like, do you have a? Are you on social media? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, eleven, like one one Clint James one one. So it's eleven Clint James eleven. All right. Uh, Very good. Yeah. 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 So that's anything with Twitter and stuff right. or whatever. Yeah. And it's not, I assume it's not because you're a big fan of uh, Stranger Things, like the, the character 11. You just like. Uh, no, no, right. no. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I do like Stranger Things. Yeah. I do I like it to too. Jump yeah. on that show. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. No, that's just coincidental. Yeah. That's all that is. All right. Yeah, well, they need a new they need a new sheriff, so maybe uh, maybe we'll get uh, Clint James in there. Not to spoil Boy, Stranger Things you. last season, jeez. All right, yeah, I'm sure they got their sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to get it, put a good name in in for you. Uh, yeah, sure, if they if they hear Nasty Neil say it, you know it's uh, it means everything. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. Appreciate it. Well, Very I appreciate cool. coming on. It's been a good time. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Neil. All right, you have a great day, man. Thanks for having me. You as well. Thanks. Let's go!
Сделай ты 